Are you totally into routines? Did that first day on the job or move to a new city shake you up just a bit? Now imagine someone with memory loss. Very often they've created a safe space within very familiar routines. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today Kelly and I are talking about Alzheimer's and transitions, whether that's a big move to an assisted living or even just a trip to the hospital. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. You're listening to our doable tips, short answers to your questions. Don't see your question listed? send us a note. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an answer. I think that almost every single family that I've helped has heard me say these words, advocate and creative care. And especially when it comes to memory care. And I I kind of feel like that's what we're talking about today. Like Mm -hmm. if you just boiled it down, those are the things that we're really talking about. So let's start with What exactly is transfer trauma? So it is essentially, there's like an official diagnosis for it, which is really wild. Some people call it transfer trauma. Other people call it relocation stress syndrome. It's basically a psychological failure to adjust to your move or your change in environment. And that's the official diagnosis. But honestly, I would say failure is a strong word. but Essentially, it's a person's reaction or stress reaction or anxiety reaction to moving from one place to another. And we as humans, you know, we're just talking like outside of dementia, often have difficulty with change. So changing from one place to another, you see you're moving to a new environment. With that comes grief of the previous season of life also comes anxiety about the newness of everything, having a new city, having making new friends. Just the the details of moving can be really stressful. And so that's can be traumatizing for just an everyday like you or me. Absolutely. Even like even starting a new job. Oh, yes. Anything that's new or a change. I just experienced this moving from a house to a condo. Like there was right. a huge difference in yep. lifestyle and a huge mm-hmm. change. And it took me a minute to adjust to that. So it's like, I, I think you think about just us not having the added stress of memory loss. Right. You know, not having that obstacle right. and how difficult it can be just for us to experience change. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine what it's like for someone who is also struggling with memory loss. Right. And you think of, when you think of memory loss too, you think of questioning reality or being confused with what's real and what's not real. Memory loss can be everything from, I can't remember what I ate yesterday or this morning or all the way to delusions or hallucinations. We see this more often than not, thinking that family is kind of out to get you, 
And if they're the ones helping with the change that you're losing your independence and they don't, you know, interpreting that as they don't trust you. So you don't trust them anymore. Especially, I think the loss of independence. Oh yeah. I think that's so huge. And also what you were saying about the different stages, there are folks that are in that early stage of Alzheimer's and some of them, I mean, I think the statistics say about half the people know that they're mm-hmm. have, struggling with memory loss and then half the people mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. And so you have this, this whole range. And I think that's the other thing that makes this so difficult and why we talk about creative care is because it, it's very personal to the individual. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, not trusting family members and then, or maybe not even remembering that they're family members. Yeah. I read once and I can't remember where it was, but that what having Alzheimer's feels like is that your world is shrinking. Mm. And, and so like your ability to feel safe is so important, but that it also changes as the disease progresses. You think about a child and how a child's environment or perception of the world is small. And so it's a very similar reaction of where's mom? I need to be safe. Something is, you know, wrong. Always looking for that safety net. Same thing. Yep. It's very, you know, similar. I'd imagine a very similar experience. Yeah, absolutely. What are some clues that someone is struggling with that transition? There are so many. There are so many. And I think that's the tricky part about this is that it's not always detected. For example, I have family connections that I'm working with right now where their loved one who has memory loss has been moved several times in the last two weeks because they can't the doctors and the nurses are saying they can't figure out what's wrong. When in reality, I would assume that so much of it is a result of transfer trauma. Every time you move someone, you're changing or you're making them question their perception of reality. Mm -hmm. And if their reality is already skewed, again, similar to a child, a child moves and all of a sudden they have to make new friends. They have to do all these things. They have an increased desire to bond and stay connected to the parent because that's their only safety net, right? There's a lot of, there can be fear. There can be anxiety. You know, I don't want to go to a new school. I don't want to do this, Mm -hmm. right? Same with someone who has memory loss and probably to a heightened degree, memory loss moving to a new space. It's unfamiliar. And in this scenario, my loved one that I just talked to said, what's wild is that he wasn't exhibiting behaviors of anxiety or agitation or physical competitiveness before he left. And I said, exactly, because he was familiar with the environment that he was in. Yep. And then you move him. And so it's, I don't think it's just a question of what is the diagnosis or what is wrong. Environment plays such a vital role in making someone feel safe or in danger. Absolutely. And I, and not, you mentioned doctor, not just a big move, but we hear this so often where a family member has to take their loved one to the emergency room 
or right. they have to call 911 and now there's an ambulance ride. Maybe there's a hospital stay, which is this whole new environment that right. is so stressful. So it can even be the small changes in environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about just, you know, you have your normal daily routine, whether that's your morning routine or your nighttime routine, and something interrupts that and you just kind of feel off that day. Right. Or maybe you you don't get to sleep as well because you stayed up too late and didn't do your normal routine, right? And so it's the same thing, only I think, you know, times 50 for someone who has memory loss. Right. You know, a lot of families aren't using this term. They're not saying, hey, Valerie, we're, hey, Kelly, we're looking at a move. We're concerned about transfer trauma. <laughs> this right. Because trauma is such a strong word, too. So a lot of people aren't like, openly being like, oh, hey, we've been traumatized or my loved one is traumatized. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I don't think it's the forefront, but I do think that it's the underlying cause of a lot of the stress that families feel when we are talking about a move, even when we're talking about bringing in-home care into the home, because Mm -hmm. that's actually a change in environment too. And, you know, we've had so many stories of loved ones that refuse to let the caregiver in, even though they already met the caregiver, they don't remember that caregiver that following week. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it it works out great. And, you know, we, we put together strategies and we try to make sure everybody's as relaxed as possible (laughs) and (laughs) and moving into whatever this new experience is. And sometimes it ends so badly. And, And we actually there's an episode in the podcast called Many Memory Care Moves, which is actually a family telling their story. And, and sometimes it takes more than one environment to get the right environment. Right. Especially if we're working with someone who can't communicate exactly what it is that they're feeling or needing. It can be a guessing game as right. to what that, the right fit is for that person. So let's talk about some strategies to reduce the stress. One thing I'm thinking of is just how, just in my own work, we, you and I have both worked in memory care, like in actual yep. communities. Yes. And one of the things that really stood out to me is how much those with memory loss really pick up on your energy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably the first thing for families is to try to find a way to maintain your stress level to be as low as possible. Exactly. Exactly. And that's difficult, right? Because so many of a caregiver or family member's energy is put into making this person feel safe, feel comfortable when oftentimes they're not even aware of their own response. They could be presenting stress or frustration and trying not to, but if they don't have the tools to cope with that outside of this one-to-one interaction with their loved one, then it could cause more harm than good for them. Yeah, yeah. I would say what you spoke on is the environment. Environment is so important. When I worked in memory care for a few years, the, the, one of the most important things was making a resident or a upcoming resident who was moving in, making them as comfortable 
as possible. And to the best of our ability, right? There are just some things that you can't mimic and it can't be the same in both settings, but there are things that are. And so importance of pictures that are familiar, communication with the person that is safest to them, and maybe even increasing that communication for the first week or so. Other things include being aware of the individual's daily routine and trying to mimic that as best as possible or replicate it in the setting. Just thinking about that now, if you have a loved one who you maybe have had at home or have been obviously in close contact with and kind of know their routine, what you could do is write down just their daily routine. What time do they typically get up? How do they like their coffee? Do they drink coffee? Do they look at a magazine in the morning? What kind of things do they like to talk about when they first wake up? Any detail is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where the advocate part comes into play. Yes. Yeah. Because as a caregiver, and even if you are a caregiver that's not necessarily living with your loved one, you still have a pretty good sense or can investigate <laughs> and, and try to figure out, you know, times of day that are better when you're talking to your loved one, yep. when are they less confused? You know, those kinds of things. What are the things they talk about that make them feel good and safe? And I think this is so important, what you're talking about, like making that list of daily routines, because those are those tools in many cases, especially with those that have early memory loss, those are their tools to get through the day and feel safe. Yeah. Right. Whatever it is, you know, even if it is their favorite cup of coffee in their favorite coffee cup. Right. I mean, it can be that specific. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to recognize that not everyone has the same level of dementia training. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Or right, yeah. or understanding, yeah. or ability to get creative mm -hmm. and try different things and pivot, because because that's what it is too is mm -hmm. pivoting. And so I think recognizing that and just being prepared for the advocacy role, being prepared for the list of, you know, wow, if you get my mom talking about her garden, mm -hmm. she's gonna feel so right. comfortable with right. you. One of the things that I love too is. When you are thinking about a move and like an actual move, photographing what they see when they wake up in the morning. That is so cool. And then absolutely replicating that for that new environment, including the side of the bed that they wake up on. And now let's say that you're in a position where maybe you can afford a private room today, but a year from now you have to go to a shared room. I think it's important to communicate this with the staff. Hey, can you make sure this move right. can be replicated as close as possible and do everything that you can to make it as familiar as possible? And a lot of times it takes more work up front in the immediate. And then you see the benefit of that as they transition successfully. Whereas if if those details or if, if none of that was able to happen, and honestly, sometimes we do see that. We see that with, with residents who 
maybe just have a guardian or maybe not even have a guardian in place and don't have family that are in the area, they don't kind of get that specialized treatment. You see the impact later on. So it creates more work at the end or in the process. And so it's important, especially if loved ones have that availability, like you said, and those details, those, that, those pockets of information. The other part about this is that there's, I feel like there's a little bit of debate and debate might be a strong word too, about whether it's a good idea to drop off your loved one and not be present for a Mm -hmm. few days Mm -hmm. or be very physically involved in the process. Yeah. Yep. I have an example of that. We had a resident move into our memory care who within the first two weeks, we saw an influx of aggression, you know, combativeness, agitation, refusal of medications. And what we figured out is that this often happened. We saw, you know, her react this way after a visit with the family or after a a phone call with the loved one. And that's really, that's a difficult conversation as a social worker, as a community to have, you know, being prepared for that. And it's not, it's not any offense to the family member. It's just thinking about it in the lens of, okay, I know we talk about putting our needs first, but when you're the caregiver in, in this particular situation, sometimes we do need to put our needs aside. Sure. Maybe we do want to see our mom every day or talk to her, but if it's going to be more successful for her in the long run, for us to take a step back, then that's the most important thing at this time. And that's the tough part, right? Is that you know, you can try everything and it still not work out the the way that you are hoping it will work out. And so, yeah, so this debate about whether to visit or not visit, uh, I think it's, again, boils down to a personal decision and what's best for everybody involved. Yeah. And, you know, maybe trying visits under different circumstances, like during an activity or you know, something like that. I hope this is helpful for, you know, loved ones to hear, just knowing that it's nothing that the loved one is doing wrong with dementia. You just don't know. You don't know how someone's going to react. And so kind of walking in with like open hands and just being willing to have the experience be what it is and being prepared for as many outcomes as they're able to prepare for and then letting the rest kind of happen. And I think that ties back into the whole self-care piece that we've been talking about. And I, I am not a big woo woo person, but you hear stories all the time of the moon affecting the mood in memory care. Oh goodness. Yes. And so in every healthcare setting. Yes. (laughs) And so even having maybe a calendar journal where you're able to track and anticipate, oh, wow, full moon tomorrow. So we we better have some extra relaxation and (laughs) things planned that are soothing. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. So what would your number one doable tip for this be for transfer? Yeah, I would say advocate, advocate advocate for your loved one. The caregiver 
whether it's the daughter, the sister, the cousin of this loved one, you may be the person that knows them best, right? And you're moving them into an environment where these people don't know. They don't know this person. And so the more that you can share, the more specific you can be is most important. There was one case where was probably the most helpful to us. This resident came actually from a different facility and this facility put together a book of preferences of, you know, likes and dislikes of routine. They put this all together for us. And I, you know, I was just so thankful. I called them to thank them because it was so important to us to know that oftentimes, especially in memory care, this person can't tell us, like may not be able to tell us what they need, may not be able to tell us, you know, these preferences, right? So to have someone who can advocate for them to be their eyes and ears is the most important thing for them, for you, for the community all around. Today's episode is brought to you by ClearPath Senior Living Solutions. ClearPath helps families find assisted living, memory care, and other resources. Find our contact information in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable. Make it doable.